32 tonight. We'll be in Exodus 32. But uh, just for an overview, I'm going to kind of point back to Exodus 24, because in the context of what we're studying tonight, just a brief background, because this study has to do with the minister, the leaders, and the congregation. And it's kind of timely and fitting. The, The leader is gone. Moses is gone. He's gone away. And then the leaders are in charge of the uh, the people and then the congregation. So in here, we'll see four things. Number one, we'll see a strong and healthy leader. We'll see also a weak and pathetic leader. We'll, we'll see a healthy congregation and we'll see an unhealthy congregation in contrast. So Exodus 32 deals with God, the minister, the leaders, and the congregation. So here's a brief background. And the children of Israel came out of bondage from Egypt for 400 years. They were going to the promised land. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 1, God calls Moses to himself. And he says, come up, Moses. Bring with you Aaron, Nahab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship from afar. So we see them in chapter 24, verse 9, that Moses went up and he took Aaron, Nahab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders, as the Lord instructed them. They were following directions. But in verse 13, it tells us he also took up Joshua, the son of Nun, with him, his assistant, In Exodus chapter 24, verse 14, Moses said to the leaders, Now you guys wait here. Me and Joshua are going to go up a little further. And he says, If you need anything, Aaron or her are in charge. And if anyone has difficulties, let them go to Aaron and her. And in Exodus 24, 18, Moses disappears into the clouds he climbs higher up into the mountain to spend time with god alone and he remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and joshua stays with him during these 40 nights moses was given seven amazing chapters from chapter 24 to 32 as we'll get into tonight 40 days and 40 nights, he's up there. And God gives him a plan. God gives him instructions and what to do for 40 days and 40 nights. Till chapter 31, verse 18, it says, Then when God made an end of speaking to him, speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of testimony of stone written by the finger of God. Now let's read verse 32, verse 1. Chapter 32, verse 1. It says, Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people were gathered to Aaron, and they said to him, Come, let us make make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So first we see Moses was absent from the people. But in Moses' absence, he was not negligent nor careless in his absence from the congregation. You see, he was delayed according to the people's expectations. And I entitled the message, What Does God Expect? Because according to the people, 
their expectations, he was taking too long. He was 40 days and 40 nights up in the mountain. And they said, what about this man? We don't know what's become of him. So the delay according to their expectation. But here's the thing. Moses was where God wanted him to be. And that's where we need to be. Where God expects us to be. Where he wants us to be. Not where I or the world expects me to be. So God made an end of speaking. It said here. So this was 40 days and 40 nights. God was giving him the instructions. So Moses was in the right place with God. But this shows us that even being in the right place with God, God's leaders, God's servants will have problems. They will have difficulties. They will have testings. Even when they're in the right place with God, you could you could be doing everything right. You're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to have testings. As we see, Moses was right where God wanted him for 40 days and 40 nights. And, you know, many people have different expectations of what a minister should be, what a ministry should be. You know, many people look for churches today and they seek to find one that meets their expectations. Maybe people go looking for a colorful and charismatic or dynamic pastor the popular pastor some are looking for a good youth group or a thriving children's ministry or young adults ministry or some kind of support ministry people have different expectations of what a church should be how big it should be how little how the music should be but what does god expect but that's the most important thing is what god expects But what does God expect in a leader? We have good biblical uh, leaders here in Moses and in Paul, the Apostle Paul and Jesus. You know, we were singing that song, you never give up on me. You never your love never fails. It never gives up. You know, that's God. He never gives up. And and just think Moses was for 40 years in the desert with these complaining people. You know, Paul wrote the, the, most of the epistles in the New Testament, and the church is so messed up. And they never gave up. But this is what God expects of a leader. Because surely these, these people, these leaders, this congregation, here in this story, they, they thought they had a better way. They thought they, 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 thought they knew better of God. And that's always a problem. That's always a problem when we think we know better than God. Or we think we can make things better than what God has prescribed in his word. Or even worse, when some people think that they're the answer to the people's needs. Because a lot of times in ministry, its ministers don't meet their expectations. But we have a good model in Acts chapter 20. You don't have to turn to there, but I'm going to refer to the Apostle Paul as a good leader. Because Moses was a good leader. But in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul, what was expected of a good leader? We see in the Apostle Paul, God expects a good leader to be blameless 
in giving God's word his full counsel to the people. And that's where Moses was. He was getting God's counsel to give to the people. Number two, a good leader, God expects a good leader who both exhorts those under his care and doesn't fail to warn the people, the leadership, or the congregation of pending dangers. Remember, the Apostle Paul warned the Ephesian leadership in Acts chapter 20. He said, Beware, for savage wolves will even rise up from among you and lead you away after themselves. He said, Savage wolves, wolves in sheep's clothing. People will be rising up in the church. They will dazzle you away from the flock to themselves. And Moses warned the people. You see, God cultivates leaders. They're not made overnight. But leaders who care. God expects leaders to care for the people. And you know what? Some, and ministry is hard. A lot of people have this idea that ministry is easy. I have an easy you have an easy job. It's easy to do what you do. It's not easy. It's heartbreaking. It's a lot of work. You know, God cultivated a leader and we see Moses often on his knees and we see the Apostle Paul weeping in parental care for his people. In Acts chapter 20, they wept. God expects a leader to build and he expects them to lead and he expects the leaders to point the people to the source of spiritual growth. God expects the leader to be prepared and to prepare God's people to serve and also for them to receive their inheritance. We're to get you ready for service in the local church, but we're also to get you ready for eternity because we don't know when that's going to be. No one's promised tomorrow. God expects us, expects leaders who are not into ministry for the rewards, for the attention, for the splendor. But God expects us as leaders to be hardworking and generous. Why does God expect these things? Because He loves His people. He wants His people to be taken care of. God wants His people to be taken care of so much that He says in James chapter 3, verses 1, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 48 and 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 5 to 2 that let not many of you become teachers knowing you will receive a stricter judgment. Too much is given, too much is required, God says. And God expects the leaders to be like shepherds leading their people to God. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not lords over the people, but being examples to the people so that when the chief shepherd appears, when the Lord comes back, we will not be ashamed and he, we will receive a crown of glory that doesn't fade away. And that's our goal. That's, that's our prayer for our leadership here. That's our prayer for our pastor. And I praise the Lord that I could, I could say your pastor, Pastor Joe, is consistent in all these areas. I've been with him for 23 years and the consistency in ministry. 23 years of following God's way and doing ministry God's way. Not deviating from the left or the right or getting caught into, into fads and, and just changing by the dictates of his own heart. But where was Moses? Moses, the peop, that was the people's gripe. Where was Moses? He's gone too long. 
He's not meeting my expectations. But a good leader should spend time with God, and, and Moses was spending time with God. Is your leader spending time with God? If you're a leader, are you spending time with God? Moses was a good leader. He spent time in prayer. And I, I, and I could say, after 23 years, every Sunday morning at 7 o'clock, your pastor's in prayer. Every Sunday night at 5 o'clock, your pastor's in prayer. Every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, your pastor's in prayer. Consistently for 23 years, I've witnessed it. He's there. He's praying for you. He's praying that we meet with God before we meet with God's people. So we encourage you to pray. A good leader should be setting, be getting his direction from God before moving forward, leading the people. For a good leader is not impulsive, nor should he be following the dictates of his own heart. You know, and, and so often, you know, we're, it's so easy to follow the dictates of my own heart or whatever I'm feeling. I want to follow God's ways. And, and that was the problem here in the text. But a good leader waits and he goes where God directs. But to do that, the leader must spend time with God. And Moses spent time listening to God for 40 days and 40 nights. He spent listening to his voice, but also we see Moses in the scriptures many times when he had trouble and trials and difficulties with the people. Where was Moses? He was on his knees. He wasn't griping to the others in the congregation. He wasn't griping to the other leaders what was going on. He was on his knees for the people. A good leader prays through difficulties and trials and testings but continues going forward despite the perils that he faces. You see, good leaders don't quit. God doesn't expect us to quit. You know, we see Elijah. Remember when he had that battle and then what happens? Uh, uh, one of the, the queens uh, says, I'm going to chop his head off. And when he gets depressed and he quits. What did God say? Get up. What are you doing there? You see, a good leader has no problem waiting for God's instruction. You see, Moses wasn't in a rush, nor should your pastor be, nor should we as the congregation be in a rush to, you know, have our pastor, uh, you know, just make decisions just on the fly. But in Moses' absence, verse 1 says here, and when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain... So here we see a contrast. Contrast to Moses acting on what God said. The people were acting on what they saw. And that we're prone to do that. We're prone to act on what we see rather than what God's word says. And the culture's changing. And we could get caught up in the culture. We need to be careful. This shows a, a lack of the people's faith in God's leading. And his servant following God's directions. And the same thing happens today. But it, it's unfortunate that this happens often. Like these leaders here, they saw the delay as an opportunity for them to take a place and have the desire to leave and take these matters into their own hands. In verse 1, it says the people gathered together. 
and said, you know, let us make gods. You know, and this happens all the time when things don't go right or things don't go according to, you know, the people's expectation. You, you will find little groups that they'll grumble. They'll start complaining. They'll, they feel the leader isn't fulfilling their expectations. And that's when division starts. And they came to Aaron and he said here in, in, in the verse, and they said to him, come, let us ma- make us gods that shall go before us. As for Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know as, what has become of him. So he, in here, instead of in hearing God's word, giving the people uh, direction and influencing them, the people start taking the place of God. You know, as leaders, as God's people, we got to be careful that we're not trying to take the place of God by demanding that things go the way we want in ministry or whatever God calls us to do. You know, because here they're demanding, you know, make us gods. And we see in Exodus chapter 20, God already instructed the people according to their plans. He already said no but they push God's word aside. And that happens so much today where we'll push God's word, God's counsel for us of how to do things, what to do and how to live. We push it aside because we think we know better than God. So we know from the scripture that the people knew better. And sadly, Aaron here was the leader whom Moses put on charge. And what's sad is he didn't object to something that God clearly said that they shouldn't do. He knew in Exodus 20 that God said, you shall not have no other gods before me. And here the people were coming to him, but look at, see what he, he does right away. So as leaders, we need to be careful. We need to pray. We need to check our hearts often. Because you will be tested Like going back to the garden, you'll hear that subtle voice. Did God really say, you know, you're better than that guy or you're better than him or you should be in charge of that ministry or, you know, he very cunning. You see, he will take you in the opposite direction, moving you to take action. By taking matters into your own hand. And you know what? It'll seem good. It'll seem pleasant. It'll seem like it's a wise idea. Remember Eve in the garden? She thought it was good and pleasant. And it was a good idea. You see, the enemy is deceitful. You see, the enemy and people will stroke your eagle. And then you will give in. But the sad thing is that when people stray away from God, they usually take along others to their own ruin. So the leaders, if we're not careful, leaders, if we're not careful, our hearts will lead us astray quickly. We need to be careful. Galatians chapter three and verse uh, one through three. The word of God says, who has bewitched you that you have turned so quickly away from the truth. And that word bewitch you means charmed. Something that will charm you away from God's word. Something will charm you away from God's word, from going God's way or doing God's uh, things God's way. It'll lead you off course. And Paul goes on to the 
say to the church, having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to be make, made perfect in the flesh? And he calls them, oh, foolish Galatians. So church leaders and even pastors need to be careful of the things, the charms in life that will lead us away from the truth. Because it happens to this congregation and it happens to believers personally. We could be led astray. And in verse 2, we see Aaron took the bait and it says he gave in quickly. He had a plan. It says, and Aaron said to them, the people who just came to him, he said to them, break off the earrings which are on your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people broke off their earrings which were in the ears and they brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hands and he fashioned them with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they, Aaron and the leaders, said to the congregation, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Verse 5. Now, so when Aaron saw it, he saw the reaction. He built an altar before it. Basically, Aaron right here was saying, We're in business. We're moving now. You see, he's all caught up. He's on a roll. And it says, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is the feast to the Lord. Then they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You see, these leaders and Aaron thought they were acting in the best interest of the people. But their solution was more like the world here. Let's do things to make it more sensual, make it more inclusive or more socially inviting. And that's, that's the church today. That's the modern church. Let's make things more sensual. Let's, let's turn down the lights and let's create this aura. And let's, let's be more like the world. Let's have a more of a concert. And let's be more inclusive and socially inviting. There's a danger, church, when we act just like the world or we become just like the world. We see here, number one, when you're more like the church is more like the world, it can be have an appearance of spirituality, but the thing is, God doesn't accept it. You could have an appearance of spirituality, and I hear that word, spirit, I'm spiritual a lot, but you're not doing things God's way. God doesn't accept it. We could call ourselves spiritual. But the reason why is they deviated from the way that God clearly laid out in Scripture. And the same thing happened in Jeremiah's time. Listen to what Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 7, through 24. God chides his wayward people and he said... For I did not speak to your fathers. He's speaking about this account here in chapter 32. He said, For I did not speak to your fathers and command them in that day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded my people, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in my ways that I commanded you, that it may be well with you. That's all God said. Just obey my word. You don't have to do all these sacrifices and all these things. Just obey my word. But in Jeremiah, it says, yet they did not obey, nor did they incline their ear 
but they followed the counsels and the dictates of their own evil hearts. And they went backwards and not forwards. And so it happened in Moses' day. It happened here in Jeremiah's day. And you know what? It happens today. If we don't stick, church, if we don't stick to God's word, you know, we're going to go backwards and not forwards. And here, if this was Baal worship, calf worship. It's the same today. It's pleasure. And during this time that they started doing this, this wasn't new. The godless world was doing it, and both Aaron and the leaders knew it, but they opted to be more like the world. They, they chose to be more like the world, and it could happen to us. I could be personally more like the world than more like what I'm supposed to be in Scripture. We as a church could be more like the world than what Scripture tells us how we should be. And this happens under weak leadership. Weak leadership. Why do they do this? Because it's exciting. It's entertaining. You know, people want exciting. They want entertaining. They want a free-for-all where there's no moral standards or no moral restraints. Don't talk about my morals. I could do whatever was right in my own heart. They throw out. They neglect God's standards. Then when we do that, when we throw out God's word, anything is permissible. That's dangerous. God will hold us accountable. You know, we have standards for leadership. Who should be in leadership? Who should be a pastor? Who should not be in pastor? Roles and responsibilities. We have a biblical account. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. But we will make it to seem... Or people will make it to seem spiritual, but without God's moral standards. That's dangerous. So what does God think of this? Because God's omniscient. He knows all things. But look here in verse 7. God God knows all things. And the Lord said to Moses, Moses is still on the mountain with him. He hasn't seen all this. And the Lord says to Moses, get down. For the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way in which I commanded them. And they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped and sacrificed to it. And said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Notice God knows everything. Everything He knows everything that they think and everything that they say. He knows the motive behind it. He's omniscient. These leaders weren't getting away with nothing and neither will we when we deviate from God's word. But he said they corrupted themselves. They turned away quickly. And verse 9 said, And then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have seen these people and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, Moses, that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. So God's omniscient. He knows all things. But look, God. When God, when we look, when we lower God's standard. That's a dangerous place to be. Look what happens here when we turn away from God's standard. We lower the biblical standards. What does it say here? 
they corrupt in themselves. When we leave our Bibles, we corrupt ourselves because there's no transformation. We're leaving the Word of God for the world. They corrupted themselves, God said. What led to the people's corruption? It happened to them. It could happen to us. It says they have turned aside quickly out of the way in which I commanded them. Here, leaving God's word or abandoning God's standards or his ways, they believed a lie. This is the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt, they said. They turned from the truth and believed the lie. And when we turn from the truth, we will believe the lies. That's why it's important for us as Christians, as believers, to be in the word. So we can discern from right from wrong, from what's morally and socially acceptable to God, because that's who we're going to answer to one day. I'm not going to answer to my kids or my neighbors or the politicians. I'm going to answer to God. So I want to be living according to his standard. I don't want to believe the lie that, you know, leaving God's word, abandoning his way, we will be we will believe the lie. This is the God who led us out of Egypt, they said. Like Romans chapter 1 and verse 25, it says, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and they worship and serve the, a creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's how easy it takes. All we have to do is just deviate off God's ways and go the world's way. We corrupt ourselves. We turn aside quickly and then we believe the lies. We believe the lies. You know, the people could act super spiritual, but God knows the condition. He said, I have seen the people, and indeed, they are a stiff-necked people, stubborn like mules, unyielding to their own hurt. And that's how God sees us when we're wayward. We're stubborn like mules headed for the slaughter. You know, sin is no joke. But we see also here God testing the heart of Moses as God says, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make a great nation out of you. That's the easy way. You know, I th- when I was reading this, I thought about the, the ladies with Solomon when they were arguing over the baby. And, and Solomon said, I'm going to take that sword out and I'll just chop, the, chop that baby in half and you, you each could have a half. And the true mother said, no, let her have the baby because I love that baby. Here Moses gets on his knees for, for God's people, even though they were wrong. And how many times were we like, yeah, get them. Yeah, let them, you know, consume them. But here in verse 11, we get the response. And Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak evil or speak of you uh, and say he brought them out to kill them in the mountains to consume them? from the face of the earth. Turn now, he's praying to God, turn now from your fierce wrath and relent from the harm of your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply 
multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and the, la- and the land which I have spoken to give to your descendants, they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the harm in which he would do to his people. So after this, all this, Moses still prays for the people. He pleads with the Lord. And Moses knew that God brought the people out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. You see, in ministry, we play a small role. We don't save people. Pastors in ministry, workers cannot save people. It's by God's power and His mighty hand. So that's why we need to pray. We need to be about His business, doing things His way. He just played, Moses knew he played a small role. And following the Lord's direction and doing ministry as God called him to do, as we should do as well. But we see here Moses was not only concerned about the people, he was also concerned with the glory of God. He said, why should the the Egyptians speak evil of you? And I like what Moses did here in times of trouble it's always good to go back to the promises of God. Man, God made us so many promises. And he says, you know, remember, Lord, your promise that you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You know, there's so many promises that God has given to us. In times of trouble, we need to cling to those things. We need to plead and pray over those things. But here in verse 15 through 16, and Moses turned and he went down from the mountains and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hands and the tablets were written on both sides, one side and on the other were written on it. Now the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So these tablets were God's word. The work of God. And it still is. The word of God. This is the word of God to us. In it we have prophecy. Over thousands fulfilled. Like no other religious book. But don't. It's personal. It'll transform you. It'll inform you. It tells us that we're sinners. And we need a savior. It gives us the, the, the reason for life. It's got history where we could trust God and we see how God interacts with the people and we see the character and nature of God. And God says to those who trust his word, he will transform their lives. And I'm praying for more transformation for us as a people. Because it's still God's word. It still transforms those who give themselves to it. It's proven powerful. But here in verse 17, it says, And Joshua heard the noise. They're still up in the mountain. And Joshua heard the noise as they were coming down. Moses came down and he met Joshua halfway. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, This is the noise of war in the camp. But he, Moses said, is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing i hear now here in this verse it shows us that good leaders will make mistakes in areas of discernment we'll make mistakes in ministry we make mistakes joshua here made a mistake he assumed 
without looking into what was really going on. He, he assumed something was happening. And this could happen. Good leaders make mistakes, but when we assume things. I think that's a very dangerous thing when I assume something without clarifying. A lot of, a lot of the conflicts in church happen when we assume something instead of you know, asking questions. And I like what Paul says in his prayer for the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter one and in verses nine through 10, he said, and this I pray, speaking to the church, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in discernment, that you may prove the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ. You know, we we really need to ask the Lord to minister to us and change us and transform us and give us wisdom and discernment. And also here, the leaders, you know, this shows us we shouldn't jump to conclusions until consulting the Lord and then, you know, making an investigation. We see this verses 19 to 26. Take a look. Uh, So it was. As soon as Moses came near the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses anger was hot and he cast the tablets out of his hands and he broke them at the foot of the mountain and he took the calf and he he made that they had made and he burned it with fire and he ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water and he made the children of Israel to drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what is this that what is this? What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon the people? So first here, it wasn't the dancing that made Moses upset. It was idolatry. And as ministers, we sin should bother us. You know, it bothered God. It bothered Moses and it should bother us, too, because the result of sin is hell. The punishment for sin is hell in all eternity. So, you know, we, we can't take sin lightly. But Moses does the right thing here. He gets rid of the uh, idolatry, which is a a cheap substitute. You know, Jesus, you know, drinking the water. Jesus talked about uh, judgment, drinking judgment in Matthew chapter 26, 39. But here Moses was confronting the leaders when they were when they were in error. And sadly, we don't see too many leaders doing this anymore. When people do things wrong or sinful things, we need to make corrections. But here in verse 22 through 25, we see Aaron as a weak and unsympathetic excuse for a leader. He was weak. And it said, Aaron said, do not listen to what Aaron says. He says, do not let your let your anger, my Lord, become hot. You know, the people that they're. They are set on evil for they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for Moses, this man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. And they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and out came this calf. And it says, now Moses saw that the people were unrestrained. For Aaron had not restrained them to their own shame, to the shame of their enemies. So here we saw good leaders in Paul and, and, 
and Moses. But here we see a weak and, and pathetic leader. I don't want, you know, I got to examine my, I, I want to be more like Moses. I don't want to be like Aaron, a weak leader. We don't see him praying for the people. He's not praying for the people. If you're in ministry and you're a leader, you need to be praying for the people. He was weak and he was pathetic. In contrast to Moses pleading for the people. Here he says, oh, don't get mad. It's no big deal. And then here a weak leader blames others for the problems. He doesn't take responsibility for the action. He says, you know, these people, they're they're set on evil. They're set on evil, but yeah, you look at he listened to them. He, he gave in to them. It's probably his pride. You're supposed to be leading them. But here we see this weak leader even omits. Weak leaders omit the truth. He said, you know, to make himself look better in Moses' eye. He said, I cast it into the fire, all this gold, and out came this calf. You see, he omitted that he fashioned it with an engraving tool and he made a molded calf. He knew exactly what he was doing and he's blaming others. Weak leaders blame others for their failures. Their failures. Weak leaders will not correct. They'll overlook ungodly behavior because their faith is superficial and not rooted in God's word. Because God hasn't took, word hasn't taken heart and transformed his heart. But in verse 26, Moses stands at the edge of the camp and, you know, he says, let everyone put a sword, which seems hard. And they, they, they wiped out 3,000 men that day. This seems very harsh. But here, a good leader gives them the opportunity for them to repent, the offenders. And we see this in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. Remember, Elijah told the people, how long will you falter between two opinions? If God is the Lord, follow him. But if Baal, the same God, if he's what you think he is, follow him. And it said, sadly, the, they didn't answer him a word. They, they stood in the middle. People want to always stay in the middle of the world and God. If we're in the middle, we're in trouble on the day of judgment because it's either one side or another. But we see God here holds the agitators accountable. In Matthew chapter 18, you know, if we, we cause people to stumble, God takes it serious. If we are like those savage wolves in Acts chapter 20, God will take it serious when you lead people away from the Lord. I've seen it happen when, you know, people in church and then, you know, we're hanging there. People are hanging out in a group and one says, hey, you know, hey, let's go. Let's go have a drink. And then they have a drink and they stumble their brother and their brothers back in the world. They're all partying back in the world and it's happened. God's going to hold people accountable. We see this in Matthew 18, verse six. As Jesus said, whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to you who stumble children. Look at look what's happening in our society today. Look what they're teaching our children and the legislature, the, the, the politicians making these laws to pervert children and castrate and brutalize and, and mutilate these children. God's going to hold them accountable on the day of judgment as well as the people. 
But in verse 29, Moses says, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, and, and He will bless you this day. For every man opposed his son and his brother. And the next day, Moses told the people, You have committed a great sin. Why? Idolatry is great sin. We need to repent. And then Moses says, You know, Lord, if, you know, if I could take the place, blot me my name out of the book of life. And God says, no, if somebody sins against me, I'm going to hold them personally accountable. See, ministers want to save people. But here God is saying no one can save people. That's only him. That's why he came to die, to save people. And, you know, Moses prays. But here we see an unhealthy congregation. You know, it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 through 8, and I'm almost done here, gives us a little clearer picture because we could think, man, these people really didn't do, they weren't too bad. They're just worshiping a calf. A lot was going on there that day. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 through 8, concerning this day. It said, now these things happen as our examples to the church. These things happen as our examples, God says. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And have become idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 fell. God wiped them out. Sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse uh, 11 says, Now these things happen to them as examples, and they're written for our admonition or our warning upon whom the ends of the age have come. You see, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9 says, There's nothing new under the sun. It happened then, it happened in Jeremiah's time, it's happening today. Jesus said, enter in by the narrow gate. You know, God puts through these testings, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 says, to know what's in our heart. You see, God speaks these things to us so that we would know what's in our heart because he already knows what's in our heart. He knows what we're struggling with. He knows our hearts. He's omniscient. He, he was telling Moses what was happening with great detail. So he knows what's going on in your heart. So he's telling us these things for us to take an inward look to get right. That you would know what's in your heart. Whether you're going to keep God's word or not. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 10 it says, For I the Lord search the heart and I test the mind even I give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Now we see, we need to pray for strong leaders. We need to pray that we're in tune and true to the word, unwavering, wholeheartedly committing, committed to God, doing God's work, God's way, and faithful to the end. That's, that's what we're called to do, to be faithful to the end. And this congregation, man, it just went off the rails. God just delivered them, provided for them, and they, they went south. 
You see, this was an unhealthy congregation under a weak leader in the absence of a strong leader. We got to ask ourselves, do I find myself unyielding? Am I tender? Am I teachable? You see, God has given us an example. He called them a stiff-necked people. Am I stubborn? Are there areas in my life where I'm stubborn and I'm just saying, God, I'm going this way anyways. That's just the way I am. And we're not giving ourselves to God and for Him to change us. You see, this was an unhealthy congregation. But lastly, when was the church the strongest? When was the church the strongest? When was the church so powerful that it was recognized? It was when the church was strongest, when they continued in one accord in prayer. In prayer. In prayer. I want to encourage you, man. We have prayer Sunday morning at 7 a.m. We have prayer at Sunday night at 5 p.m. We have prayer once a night, once a once a month, last Sunday of the, the week, uh, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. You want power in your life, and you want transformation in your life, you want things to change, let's go to prayer. Because we see the results of prayer, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and prayer. You know, we see this in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Acts chapter 4, verse 24, Acts chapter 5, verse 12, and spoken by Philip in Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 6, and Acts chapter 15, verse 25. That's when the word, that's when the church was powerful. That's when God was doing a work in the church. Here's the recipe, and it's so simple. Here's the recipe for a good and healthy church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayer. Steadfastly. They were devoted to these things. They were devoted to the word of God in their lives. I got to ask myself, am I devoted to the word? They were devoted to fellowship, not just coming and hanging out or going and having coffee. They were, uh, they were devoted to fellowship, to encourage one another, to build one another up. That's why I encourage you, if, you know, if you have plans to do something on a Sunday, don't take other people away from church. Don't take people away from church. Be devoted to fellowship, especially you who are in leadership. They were devoted to breaking bread. They were remembering the cross, the sacrifice that Jesus paid for their sin. And they practiced self-examination often, checking the heart. And they were devoted constantly to corporate prayer. They gathered as one in prayer. I want to encourage you. Pray. Because if you're devoted to these things, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He'll give you the power. We just need to be obedient and follow the prescription. Why? His ways are higher than ours. He gives us the instructions. These are instructions for the church. Be devoted in the, in the Word, in fellowship, in prayer, and breaking bread. 
till he comes. Let's be faithful until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for my brothers and my sisters, Lord. And Father, the work that you began in them, you're, you're faithful to complete it, Lord. Father, help us to be strong leaders, Lord. Help us to look at the text, Lord. Father, we pray for transformation in any, any areas that we're weak, Lord. Father, if we see ourselves more like Aaron, Lord, I pray, Lord, that there's uh, a transformation or even a little uh, a bit of Aaron in us, Lord. Father, we, we pray, Father, as we look at these leaders and what they did and what they didn't do, this congregation, what they did in power and idolatry, how they went downhill when they left God's word and how these people were so powerfully used in their time for your glory and for the good of their households and those around them. Father, I thank you that you said that they turned the world upside down. Why? Because they were steadfastly, they were listening to your simple instructions. They trusted your word above their own dictates of their own heart. They weren't trying to do things their way. Simply, we're doing things your way. Help us to continue to do things your way until you come. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father, for speaking to us, your church, Lord. Father, may we search our hearts, Lord. But, Father, may you have your way, Lord. May you be glorified in the church, Lord. We pray for a a revival. I pray for a revival, Lord. But it has to start in my heart, Lord, and... Father, I do thank you for the things that are taking place, Lord. Father, until you come, help us to be faithful. Help us to stay true to your word. In Jesus' name we all say, amen. Well, uh, get prepared. Ray Ray Chavez will be here on Sunday morning teaching both services. So I want to encourage you, pray. Make time to to pray with your pastors. We, We pray at those times. But come and pray and see what God does. Take a step of faith. And uh, Donald's coming out. Going to give us some announcements. God bless you guys. Have a great evening.